0: They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today.
1: You're listening to the Design Build Hunt podcast presented by Whitetail Partners. Here we cover all things whitetail property design, habitat improvement, and hunting strategy. Let's change your property for good. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Design, Build, Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Josh Raley, with Whitetail Partners Georgia, and we've got Mr. Jake Hendrickson from Whitetail Partners Michigan. Jake, how's it going? It's going well, Josh. How are you? I'm good. I'm a little under the weather. I've got to warn the listeners this week. Uh, I'm a little bit behind uh, or under the weather, behind the eight ball. I don't know the best way to say it. My voice is not great. It's going to be tough to hold out for the entire thing. But uh, I've got a fizzy drink here. I've got some nasal spray. I've got some Hall's cough drops. Um, I've got a a roll of paper towels if I need to blow my nose. So, like, this is serious business, right? Like, this is – I'm a professional, and I'm going to act like one tonight uh, despite being so sick. Right.
2: You brought the pharmacy with you.
1: That's right. That's right. I'm here. I don't have to go anywhere. I'm going to handle – whatever business starts happening with my face and congestion throughout the evening. So, uh, it's weird. It's, it's weird just asking how you doing and it just being Jake, we're missing a large part of the crew, but that's pretty symptomatic of the time of year we're in.
2: Yeah. We're kind of coming up on the holidays. Consulting season is just starting to ramp up for us. So, you know, a lot of times it's not during the week, but you never know. I think, I think Greg is out on a, a consulting visit. Right. right now. Uh, so yeah, this is going to be probably as we move forward with these podcasts, probably gonna be a few, a few of us missing, uh, from time to time.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I just got back on, uh, on Monday actually, no Tuesday. Yeah. I just got back on Tuesday from a consult. And so no, maybe it was Monday. I don't know. It doesn't matter what day it was. Point is we're already <laughs> rocking it down here in the South. Uh, we've got to get a little earlier start than you boys up North. Cause we don't have very long uh green up is going to sneak up on us pretty fast
2: yeah i think that's what lee was talking about last year is he he needs to start his consultations a little bit earlier Uh, yeah here in michigan i I really try to push them as as close to the end of the month as i can in in early january just because i would i'd hate to be the reason that i uh, that someone's buck got shot like our season ends Basically, at the end of December, and most people, I would say, are done hunting here in Michigan. They're going for uh, does now, but the buck hunting is winding down. But I still would, I would uh, feel terrible if we were walking a property, getting into that thick cover that hasn't been pushed all season, and we bump a buck out, and you hear uh, the neighbor shoot, or you, he ends up shooting one with his bow just because we were pushing in. So I try to, I try to get mine scheduled for January, but I do have uh, one coming up uh, this, this Saturday pre-purchase review, got a guy coming, uh, or contacted me, want to make sure he's buying the right property. So that's another thing that we offer as well as the, the habitat consultations. We offer pre-purchase reviews just to make sure that the property that you're buying will be a, you know, a quality whitetail parcel. Right.
1: And so is it, is it, has he whittled it down to just one property at this point, or are you going to be looking at multiple properties for him?
2: So as of right now, we're, we're go- just going in at one. He thinks okay. he found one, uh, but, he, but he just wants to make sure that he's not missing any red flags, uh, that, that might be popping up. And he just wants to make sure that he's going to be able to hunt the property effectively. So he just kind of wants a second set of eyes, someone that's seen a lot of properties. Uh, but he, he thinks he found one. And if, and if not, then we're going to, you know, that's the, the nice thing is I, I work for him. You know, I'm not the realtor trying to sell the property to him. You know, oh, it's right. a great property. You know, I, I, I work for, for the client. So it's, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to be a straight, you're a straight shooter with them and and just let them know, you know, is this a good one or is it not?
1: Right. And I think that it's, it's really important. We haven't talked about that service and we hadn't even planned on talking about it tonight, but we, we should probably dive into it just a little bit Um, Mm -hmm. for a couple of reasons. Number one, like you said, we're not realtors, so we don't make any money when you buy that property. Like that means nothing to us, whether you buy it or don't buy it. We have no incentive to tell you, yes, buy this property. Uh, other than maybe you'll hopefully have us out whenever you know for, to consult on, with you on the property once you once you've purchased it, but like you know, we're going to show you or help you. It's really easy to find a property that is a turnkey whitetail property. A lot of times, you can find those online. You get out to them. They've got their shooting houses or their blinds are already there. They've got food plots that are there. You look at it. You're like, man, this place is beautiful. You see pictures of their trophy photos from the last couple of years. Like, man, this is an outstanding Whitetail property. What you can't see is whether that property actually hunts well, right, throughout the year. And it's harder Mm -hmm. to determine whether their access is good, whether, whether that property has been maximized. And it's really difficult to find those diamonds in the rough if you don't do this a lot. Like if you don't spend a lot of times on the property, it's hard to have a vision for what it could be if you've not set up a lot of properties yourself in the past. So I think that's where that second set of eyes can really come in and where we can be extremely helpful to somebody is to find a property that is, it's not on the market for the cost of a turnkey whitetail property, but we can tell them, hey, you've got something special here. We can really do something with this.
2: Right. Yeah. We want to, we want to try to find that property that you can, because every every property is going to have a different ceiling, you know, every property you you try to maximize every property to like it's fullest potential, but you know, property a, that might, you know, that might be like a, end up being a nine out of 10 where property B this one, even if you do everything possible, that's going to only end up being a seven out of 10 and you want to make sure that you're, you know, staying away from property B here because you want to get to that nine, Ten out of ten property over over the next couple years after you put the work in, and that's what we try to help people do when we're doing these pre purchased property reviews. Is you know we we have a a long checklist. I believe it's like over forty-five points of things that we're going over while we're on the property to make sure you know does this does this pass the test? Is this going to be a quality whitetail parcel? You know, once you start putting the work in, it it, it might take a few years to get there, but you know, based on everything that we're looking at, you will get there. And and like you said, we're not gonna be making any money off the sale. And I I would much rather, if this is not a good property, I would much rather have my client not purchase it and stay patient, you know, this is a lot of money, invest in a different property. And, and then, uh, you know, again, hopefully he hire us for the design down the road. But like I would much rather design a better property, you know, property A, as, as opposed to, as opposed to like a subpar property with property B. Right. So I, I want him just to buy the, the the premier property just as much as he does.
1: Yeah. Have you ever gone to a, a, a property, you know, from someone who's bought it and, you know, you're there for, for an on-site and your kind of honest evaluation is uh you might want to think about selling this one
2: uh <sighs> I try to always look at a property that someone owns and they have me out uh, for the consultation uh, with kind of like glass half full, uh, because I don't know a lot of times, like like sometimes if they, if they just bought it, you know, I don't want to, uh, you know, rain on the parade right away. I, they're having me out to maximize this property and bring it to its fullest potential. So that's that's what I'm going to do. There right. have been times where I've gone to properties, though, for that reason, and, and kind of uh, said, man, I, I really wish that you hadn't made this decision, whatever that decision is. And it waited for us to get here before you made this giant decision. Uh, right. And I, I don't know who's, who is listening here. So I don't want to give like too much information because <laughs> <laughs> on, yeah. on, I don't know if I say exactly what it is, they'll know it's them. Right. But, uh, it, but yeah, so, sometimes I get to a property and, and they, a decision has been made where they did a massive uh, improvement. Just the improvement to the property and it is an improvement, but like, it's just like the way, the way they went about it, I would have done it differently if it was my property. But like, as, like I said before, when you get there, that's what you're working with. And so you, you build the design and and you build the layout based on that and it'll absolutely work. It's just going to be a little different than how I would have done it if I had a blank slate.
1: Right. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I've had, I've had one before that my thoughts were maybe you should have thought about not buying this one. Um, And it was simply because their goal was to hold mature bucks on this property. And they bought directly next door to a like 350 acre parcel that loved to run dogs for deer. And they knew Mm. they had dog issues. So those dogs were going to be released on one end of the neighboring property heading towards this property a lot of times. And the dogs don't yeah. care about the property line. You know, that's big down here in the south no. is running dogs for deer. And, um, you know, it wasn't it. It was the kind of like, oh, you shouldn't have bought this property. It was like, hey, this is going to be really detrimental for your goals. Like, you know, the your goal of holding a mature buck on this property and growing your deer, that's going to be a tough one when you've got, you know, 30 beagles running through here every Saturday morning. <clears throat> it's going to be really, really difficult.
2: Yep. So – Um, I think that the the most important thing there is just to be 100% honest and set realistic expectations. Everybody, including myself, we want to shoot older deer. We want to shoot the oldest buck in the neighborhood every single season. But depending on where you are, that age is going to be different. And depending on the property size and the neighbor's situation, that's going to look a little bit different everywhere you go. And, you know, like a Southern Illinois property is going to look different than a than um, you know, the, my property here right. you know, in, in uh, right. mid Michigan so I have to set realistic expectations for myself, you know, as well as the the clients that you work with. And, right. and that, that's the key. That's honestly the key to success with anything is just making sure you, you, you want to have lofty goals, but they have to be realistic. Right. And, and with a property where you have dogs yeah, running all over the place all the time, that's going to make it a lot more challenging. And so there are ways you can maybe go about, uh, reducing it a little bit. But yeah, if it continues to happen, it's definitely going to make accomplishing that goal, depend a really old buck that much harder.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's an, that is a very important piece is those realistic expectations. And I even think about, you know, my own, my own property, like, yeah, we're happy when we have four-year-old deer show up or a five-year-old buck on camera. Um, but our goal is three-year-old deer. You know, are, yep, that that's what we have seen. We can consistently manage for and have a decent expectation to have a a couple of three year olds to go after, one or two. Yep. You know, between me and my dad. Um, when you're on
2: thirty acres, you said right 30, 35 acres, thirty. Yeah, so acres. I mean, there there comes to be a time like if you if you said I want to shoot a five year old buck every single season, well, you might not even have a five year old buck on camera you know, maybe once every three years, depending right. on your area. I'm just, I'm just right. thinking about some areas yep. here in Michigan. Like we might not have a five-year-old on camera in some areas, uh, in some neighborhoods, you know, and in, in maybe once every three or once every four years. And so you're saying that once every four years you, you can go after a deer. Right. I mean, you, you still have to make it fun and you still have to be, still have to have that fire and that drive. And, yeah. and how long, like how, how long are you going to keep your hunting crew and all the guys in the neighborhood that are trying to keep on the same page as you, engaged and willing to participate in this, if they're only allowed to hunt, you know, once every <laughs> three or once every four years, you're going to lose them quick. Right. So you need, that's where you got to set realistic expectations. And, and I've always just said for our guys, like, and obviously they can shoot kind of like the neighbors they can shoot whatever they want. I, I try to like, uh, lead by example, but as much as I can, but like for us, it, it's just kind of very similar to you. It's, we're trying to target the oldest buck in the neighborhood every year. And that's going to vary. You know, some, some years it's right. four, some years it's three and, but whatever that oldest buck is, he's who we're going after. And you know, he, it's still fun. It's still fun to go out there and, and game plan for that deer. And honestly, the, the, the three-year-olds here, they're, they're just as challenging to, to go after as as the four-year-olds. So right. there's, there's, they're, they're both, both of those deer are, are tough to get on top of. So uh, but yeah, that we're, we're very similar to you. We just go after that the oldest buck in the neighborhood.
1: Yep, and that's kind of our. We've usually got you know one or two that are kind of top tier, and then there's like that number three that my dad's like, I'm not shooting him, and I'm like, I definitely am if I see him. You yeah, know, the, the number
2: three buck on the list, you know. Yep. Um, and your dad's shooting me walks in front of him. What's that? <laughs> What's that? I said, And your dad's going to shoot him if he walks in front of him, that, too. That's right. Yeah. He's not
1: going to until, you know, until it's go time. And then it's like, ah, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm going to take that deer. So, uh, man, I'm excited about tonight's conversation. We're getting here uh, towards the end of the year. I don't know exactly when this is going to air. I believe it will be um, like the 28th of December, something like that.
2: Okay. And so, so tail end of the season here.
1: Tail end of the season for a lot of people and really the end of the year. For everybody, right? Like it, it's, mm. it, it's that time of year when we're all reflecting, right? We're reminiscing over the last year. What did we do right? What did we do wrong? Where do we want to improve the year ahead in the year ahead? And so I thought it'd be a good time for us to chat about uh, evaluating your whitetail parcel and evaluating the hunting on your property and think about improvements that we can be making in the year ahead. So, number one, I want to make a case here. I'd like for you to build a case for the okay. guy who's owned his property for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. He's been hunting the property. He feels like he knows it like the back of his hand feels like he doesn't need to scout the place anymore. Make a case that for that guy, why he should get out in the timber after the season at the end of his season and evaluate what's really going on out there.
2: Yeah. I guess the first question I would ask is, did your season go the way you thought it would go? And I would say that most everyone who's hunted most, not every year is going to go the way you want to. You're going to have years where you did not accomplish your hunting goals. Uh, Whether that's to hold more deer on your property, uh, 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 harvesting your target buck. uh, Maybe you built a food plot and you're not seeing deer move into your food plot. You know, there, there's a lot of different goals that you can have or things that you've worked on throughout the year that y- you want to see uh, success with. And so I would, I would just first ask wh- whoever that is like, you know, did you consider your season successful? Why or why not? And with the, why not, you know, okay, what do you, what would you want to see improved? Or, or what do you think has changed on the property over time? Like if they've, if you said they've owned this property for 30 years, do you think it's better now than it was 10 years ago? And a lot of times what I find with when talking to guys is like when they call us, the reason that they're calling us is that the, the hunting on the property has declined. They've done it the same way for the last 20 years and the deer hunting on the property is is not the same. And it, it, sometimes it's, it's just like a simple uh, explanation. Like when you get there, uh, they'll just say, hey, like there used to be so many deer in this area here and we mm. haven't done anything different, but now there's no deer here anymore. And you look at the area and it's like, wow, well this is really wide open timber. So what, what it looks like, it, it's not like a mature woods, but it's getting there. And you know, 15 years ago, all these trees were most likely providing cover and they're, they're the tops and, it were, and the branches were more at deer level. So they were providing food and cover for these deer. But over the, the last 15 years, these trees grew. And now you you just have a wide open hardwoods. This is not offering anything for the deer. And same with like scrape. Sometimes these guys have these paths and these roads and they're like, Oh man, there was all kinds of scrapes down this, this road years past. And and now there's no scrapes anymore. And I walk down the road. I'm like, well, well, where are the licking branches? They're, they're at my head now. And Mm. like, so, so 10 years ago, you know, those branches were, you know, waist high, chest high. Now, they're above my head. Like the deer can't, they, they can't scrape here anymore. And so it's, it's just those things that you, you if you want to figure out why things are not going the way that you want them to, you actually have to dive in. You actually have to get on the property and scout the property to see, you know, what's going on that bedding area that used to be a bedding area. You know, why are the deer not there anymore? Is it because it's, it's, uh, too wide open now, like the, the forests got too old and it's the sunlight is, sh- or the, the leaves are shading the, the floor, the, the forest floor and there's no more browse. And so the deer kind of moved out to a better area, or maybe you planted a food plot and the, the deer aren't using the food plot like you wanted to. There's, there's a number of reasons why that could be. And so you just kind of have to figure out why, uh, whatever it is you're trying to fix, whatever didn't go right the the why is the most important thing because then you can go correct it and and there's so many different things and I'm even doing that right now on my property with with bedding areas that we have in the back I don't know if there's anything else you kind of want to comment on but like there's so many things that like I'm doing right now just with my bedding areas at my property that I worked on last year but I need to correct some things that I didn't get right
1: yeah I, I would love to dive into that because I think there may be a sense where um People think maybe that this, w- what we do a lot of times is an exact science. I, I always tell everybody like there's, there is some science to it. Like if you do this, the deer will respond in certain ways, but there's also mm-hmm. a little bit of art to it as well, where you realize like, mm, that wasn't applied just right. And here's the result that we got out of it. So maybe walk me through some of those things that you've seen over the years. Like or I, I think about a couple of the big elements, right? Bedding, food plots, Travel corridors, like those are those yep. are three big pieces of a plan, big pieces of a design. What are some of the like maybe common um, pain points, common failures, common mistakes? And maybe start with just your own example there from uh, the bedding on your property.
2: Yeah, so I, I can you can tell where these deer are bedding and where they're not, uh, especially like if you go in right after a recent snowfall, you, you can easily spot out. Like where these deer are bedding within your cuts. So last year during the off season, we cut a, a significant portion of our property. Uh, we dropped a lot of mature red oaks, hinge cut some hard maple over top of that, and just to try to get as much sunlight to the area, provide some structure on the ground. So over time, if the area is going to thicken up, we want to encourage deer to bed there. The deer the deer did bed in this location, but they didn't bed in in the whole uh, the whole bedding area, they, they, they selected certain spots. And so I, I was just trying to go in there and figure out maybe why they are selecting certain areas over others. Because when I went in there, uh, to, to create a bedding area that the biggest thing is sunlight, get the trees on the ground. And once the trees are on the ground, you want to make sure that these deer can move freely through the area so they never really feel trapped. So if they're in, in one section, they have multiple ways in and out mm-hmm. of, of that bedding area. And I, I kind of based uh, the design of this one, uh, like the, the the actual layout of the bedding, the bedding area on similar bedding areas that I've created in the past that had success. I, I started out fairly tight in some areas and some areas were more open, but, but the, a lot of their areas like where a lot of trees kind of fell in the same spot. And these are, are pretty big red oaks that went down. So it, it's a. Uh, it took a lot just to to cut sections out, but in in those areas, it was a lot tighter. And I noticed that even though there was some openings and entrances and exits, the deer, well, they would go in there. They wouldn't select these areas uh, as bedrooms. And and it's kind of clear as to why, like some of these areas were too tight that the deer didn't really have good line of sight. They didn't really have good, uh, they didn't have a good, uh, Uh, vision they they can't really see very well so they even though there's entrances and exits they still would most likely feel claustrophobic and trapped And, and sometimes like when you drop trees uh, on top of other trees over the course of the year, they, they break down and they start to fall. And so some of my trees were falling into some of these openings. And so I had, I'm having to go in there and clear these out. Uh, So those are just things like if you never went back in, you know, I could have trees that what was once a good bedding area, have another tree kind of start to slowly break down into it. It turns into a, a poor bedding area And if you didn't go in there, you'd, you'd never know. And the deer wouldn't use it. So the, the biggest thing, like the the deer still used the overall area. So it still was a, I would say a successful bedding cut because they still, that was open hardwoods to, to before. And so they're bedding there now where they, they were never bedding there before, but they are not using the entire bedding area. And so that's what I need to correct. And what I'm working on now is I'm, I'm opening things up a little bit more. You can kind of, you can always open, open it up. It's harder to, to make it thicker with trees cause you only have so many. And right now mine right. are all down. So right. I don't have any left <laughs> to drop down. Yeah. So yeah. It, now it's just kind of opening it up a little bit, make sure these deer have a, a lot more room and maybe even make more entrances and exits. So they just have free movement, you know, free range of you know, travel, to, to these different travel corridors, to these different food plots and other sections of the bedding area. But, yeah, that's what I think I – in some parts of it, I made it too tight. Okay. And it wasn't necessarily on purpose. It was just how the trees fell. And, and I, I didn't – last offseason, I didn't go in and, and open it up as much as I should have uh, before the season. Right. So about how big is this bedding area? Uh, I would say it's – Total, oh man, I wish I had it uh, pulled up on Google Earth right now. I could actually give it, it it's, I would say it's close to three quarters of an acre. It's a big okay. one, yeah, but so it's split. Size. So it's split in half with a, a travel corridor. So I've got nice. maybe like a, I don't know, two thirds of an acre, uh, or maybe maybe a half acre on one side and a quarter acre on the other side. Okay. It's split right down the middle with a travel corridor that connects to uh, a food plot. Very nice. Very nice.
1: Yeah. So you know, when it comes to, um, when it comes to these bedding areas, you know, you just thicken a spot up deer, will start to use it, but you're right. You got to maximize what's there in order to get them using it as well as you, as you would like. So I'm, I'm curious when it comes to, I'm, I'm assuming this is a doe bedding area by design.
2: Yep. Yep. This okay. would be, I'm trying to encourage as many does as possible to just reside in, in these separate bedding pockets.
1: Right. Yeah. Right. So I'm, Just knowing how does bed, you know, a lot of times you, you go into the woods and you find, you know, six or seven beds in a circle, kind of all facing different directions, you know, like very stereotypical doe bedding. Right. How are you, you know, setting up these bedding areas to accommodate what they're already wanting to do? And I'm wondering if that's a consideration for you just because of what we know does like to do and how they like to bed, you know, when given the opportunity.
2: Yeah. And that's the issue that I think I was having in this one section that I'm trying to correct now is my, it's not open enough. And yeah. so these does don't have enough room to all be in a, uh, kind of one of these same areas where they can see each other. They can see beyond one another because yeah, does, they kind of lay down on the spot and they all look in different directions right. where a buck, man, he's by himself. He's using the wind. He's using his eyes. They bed differently than does do. Right. And so the areas that I had success with were areas where I didn't have as many trees come down into one spot. Now it's still thick with trees, but you know the the spots that didn't do so well were areas that are really tight and I, I need to open them up a little bit. And it's right. going to be a challenge. It's going to be a challenge to go in there and get rid of all these big trees, but you have to do it. If you, if you want to encourage more bedding. And, and luckily for me, I don't have a, a large population of deer here. So I, right now I don't necessarily need the extra space, but over time I would like to have the, if the population increases a little bit, I would, I would like to have the extra space, give these deer more opportunities uh, to bed down. And, and like you said, like the, the my initial, uh, I guess, process for creating these bedding areas is get the trees down, get the sunlight in and see what you have in the seed bank. See what mother nature does on her own. And depending on what comes up, uh, you might like it. You might not. And I think based on what happened last year, I'm not really liking what's coming up. Mm. I've got a lot of this sedge grass in there and it's just becoming, it's a carpet on the ground now. And so I got to go in there. I'm most likely going to have to go in and treat that. Uh, with some herbicide and then go in and plant something, uh, instead, maybe like a Forbes mix, maybe even a pollinator mix, something like that just to try to get some, some, uh, food in this bedding area. Not, not like a food plot, but some sort of co- something, a cover component as well as a food component in here. Cause you have to have food in there if you want these d- deer to bed down in there. Right. So yeah, like those Forbes and then Woody browse. And so I'm going to get some Woody browse coming in, but I, I don't think anything's going to come in. It's just like a carpet of that sedge grass. So I'm going to have to go in there and most likely treat it.
1: Right. It'll be interesting to see if you can get a good kill on that. What comes up next? Like what's the, what's the next thing in line waiting? Cause a lot of times, you know, you do get that response out of a plant that you're not necessarily looking for. And the moment you treat that one, it's like, okay, then you're getting what you, what you want, you know, for yeah. us, that's going to be, you know, having some pines that were now all of a sudden we're, you know, at first we weren't, but now we're getting a response from, you know, your sage or, uh, uh, broom, broom sedge kind of grass. You're going to get your, your brambles are finally starting to come up once it dried out a little bit, you're starting to get some green briar coming in. Once you've treated some of this other stuff, um, was actually on a, on a property this past week where there was an improvement made on the property. Well, and yeah, uh, a first shot at an improvement on a property and it was, it was some disking in a specific area where there was a mat grass already growing, like a sod pasture grass already growing and uh-huh. it's exploding. It's coming back with an absolute vengeance. And it's like, Oh man, we just, we could have treated that and then done the disking and we right. would have been in great shape, you know, but instead we, we disked first and now, Instead of good yeah. turkey habitat, we've got a thick lawn coming up.
2: Yep. Yeah. In yeah, hindsight's 2020. Like if it I is. would have known last year that this that that was going to come in, I would have treated it last year. I would have I would have right. went hard on the herbicide last year. And it, it kind of comes down to how patient do you want to be? Because this next coming season, I'm going to go and, and kill that grass. But if, like you said, maybe something else is going to come in afterwards but there's no guarantee that you're going to have something that's going to come in that you like either. So you can either wait for it or you can do like supplemental, like you do plantings right. yourself. So we either plant uh, trees, conifers, shrubs, or get in there with a Forbes mix. Uh, you know, it's, that, that's most likely the route that I'm going to take just so I, yeah. it's a guarantee. Yep. You yeah. Know, and, and just hope that uh, I get some timely rains. Cause that's another challenging part within these bedding areas. If you are going to plant something, you can't get equipment in there. Right. You're, you're not going to be able to run your ATV and your disc and all that. And yeah, you could use a rake, but again, how much time are you willing to put into it and, and all that? And luckily this is my backyard, so I can put a little bit more time in, but if you're driving, you know, three hours to your property each way, it's tough. It's right. tough to do that. Like y- you might just do that. I'm going to kill the grass and then let see what mother nature uh, has in store for
1: me. Right. Or even, you know, another consideration for that would be the, the, size of the bedding area what you've got going on there three quarters of an acre it's like okay that you know that's affordable that's within the range of, of reality when it comes to what you're going to be planting in there if you've got a much larger area let's say you've got a a four or five acre field you would like to convert to bedding well you right. go buying some of those four mixes or pollinator mixes for five acres that goes from a, a hundred dollars an acre to Five or six hundred dollars for this field you're trying to do, and then it's like, ooh, not so sure yeah. on that one. You know, it, it
2: it there are a lot of factors that you've got to sort of weigh out. You know, yeah, it, everyone's property is going to be a little bit different with how they're laying it out and the the different types of improvements that you're putting in to try to encourage deer behavior. So like you said, an open field conversion. Yeah, I'm, I would go about that completely different than how I'm handling this in the woods. You know, timber cut bedding area like a, uh, a field conversion yeah I would absolutely you know spray it and I would likely have a mix of switchgrass as as well as they I think they're commonly referred to as like diversity pockets now right uh, as well as pollinator pockets with, within this uh switchgrass so switchgrass would be used more as like my foundation my the structure around the outside of these different pockets and that mo- there'd most likely be a food food plot component out there as well right you know, if you have a large field you can a lot of times that's where you can uh, convert that into a food plot with a lot of di- like screening with switchgrass and then maybe along the interior, throw some switchgrass with these different pockets to encourage bedding. Right, right. So let, let's
1: let's shift over to food plots now that that, that, that has come up. Yep. Like, what if a guy's sitting back at this point is like, I'm unhappy mm-hmm. with the way my food plots have performed this year. I, I didn't see the deer in there that I was hoping that I would see. Uh, maybe they're just not getting a lot of use maybe he's realizing boy these things have been eaten to the ground and i can't keep up with the deer what are some of the things you're gonna be looking for as you're trying to diagnose your food plots and then you know correct moving forward
2: yeah and you kind of hit hit a few of them right there it kind of kind of depends on the the scenario on on what the solution is going to be uh just like with, with the other issues, like you get first, what's the problem, right? Are are the deer not using the food plot and we need to try to encourage more deer use Are they not using it during daylight and we want to encourage more daylight use. Uh, you know, that might be a issue with hunting pressure. That might be an issue with maybe screening around the uh, exterior of the food plot Uh, with hunting pressure. Maybe are you accessing too close to this food plot? Or maybe your stand is too close to this food plot and maybe you're blowing your wind into the food plot. Uh, or, if if you're not getting daylight movement, you know, where are your bedding areas located? Now, maybe your bedding area is, is too far away from the food plot and and the deer are having to travel a long distance before they're getting there. So they are traveling to that food plot in daylight. They're just not getting there in daylight. Right. And so that, those would be some of the things that I'd be looking for if, if the date, if it was daylight deer use that I wasn't seeing, if, I mean, if, if after the season is over and I stepped to my food plot January 1st and I, and I saw that it's eaten to the ground, you know, there, there's a couple things that, that tells me, one, you know, one, I don't have enough food for the deer that are here. And so then you got to have the conversation. Are we exceeding our carrying capacity? You know, do we have too many deer on the property, you know, or, or do we need to add more food? on the property. And so, so those can be like, for sure you need to add more food, but also do you need to take out does like, do you need to work on uh, like your, your doe, your doe harvest the following season? Because clearly the deer, there's not enough food to go around for the, the deer that are there. Um, uh, another thing that you could, like, it kind of depends on, on to what type of a plot is it? Is this a destination food source that's getting eaten to the ground? Or is this a uh, micro food plot like in the, timber that the deer are hitting before going to the destination food source, you know, maybe your, uh, your food plot selection, the seed, the seed selection, what was that? Are you planting an annual, uh, brassica or maybe oats in this small plot? And it's just getting mowed to the ground. Uh, you know, maybe consider something that's more browse tolerant that this is going to keep coming back as the deer browses. it. So maybe like a, a clover, you know, annual perennial clover, maybe some winter rye, you know, on these, on these smaller plots, you know, there's a lot of different uh, problems that you can have with food plots. And there's a lot, there's, there's a a solution for each one of them. We just got to try to figure out exactly what's causing the problem before we can uh, actually address it and and, uh, find the solution. Right. And I, I think probably
1: one of the most common problems that folks are talking about when they're like, Hey, my food plots aren't working. What they probably mean is I don't have deer in there. I'm not getting shot opportunities in the daylight. I don't see Mm -hmm. deer in daylight. That's going to be the most common problem. Um, One of the things that you mentioned there was where is your bedding? How far back is your bedding? Um, I I want to stress that point and sort of reiterate, it doesn't have to be very far to be too far sometimes. Mm -hmm. Like, Depending on what is between your food plot and that bed or that bedding area, like it really doesn't have to be far to hold up your deer, especially your mature bucks. Like all it takes is a really nice pocket of oaks, a hundred yards up into the timber and your October is going to look very, very different (laughs) than it might otherwise, you know, uh, or all it takes is, you know, some other good food source on the way there, some really good. Uh, transition area, a really good staging area, something like that off in the cover, that can eat up 30, 45 minutes of daylight very, very quickly in a buck's movements. And if he's up an hour before dark, you know, hour and 15 before dark and he spends 45 minutes munching on acorns, it's like that bed does not have to be far for you not to see him
2: right yeah yeah, there's a lot of a lot of factors that could weigh into his movement pattern yeah yeah, one when is he getting up and two what's his route to get there and is there a supplemental food source and and that's where scouting comes in in the off season like you gotta if you can find those oaks find that apple tree on the way you know to that destination food source that deer wants to hit and then yeah try your best to scout whether it's uh from a distance with observational sits or, or with trail cameras, just to try to pattern these deer as they're getting there so that you kind of know, okay, this is kind of when he's getting up out of bed. This is when he's either hitting on my food plot or hitting this supplemental food source. And then you can kind of get a little, a plan of attack. You don't want to be pigeonholed into one, one setup and say, this is my food plot setup. I have to sit here. You want to have multiple setups because t- the, the patterns are going to change year to year, again, depending on if if those oaks are producing, you know, are those apple, those wild apple trees in your woods producing and, you know, and the years they are that, that's going to pull deer over and it's, it's okay. It's a food source. It's, um, you shouldn't go cut all your oaks down. So they only hit your food plot. It's okay to have those, but you just want to, you want to, uh, when they're hitting those, you want to have stand setups to to be able to take advantage of it.
1: Yep, absolutely. And this is really important this time of year. And I really, I think a lot, uh, during the year, but, but this time of year, especially, um, there's a property that I thought that I was pretty familiar with. And just in this past year between Turkey season and the opener of deer season, I found a grove of like 12 or 13 persimmon trees that I did not know were there. And I found a crab apple tree that just happened to be raining this year. I've hunted this place for a long time. I had no idea they were there. Zero idea. (laughs) Zero. And Now it's it's a larger area. It's a, it's a, you know, thousand plus acre area. So, I mean, it's a, it's not small, but like I've walked past these trees for sure. Like I've definitely walked past them mm-hmm. and they just didn't catch my attention at another time until I went in and I was like, I wonder if there's anything in there to eat, you know? And then I was in there looking for that specific thing and boom, there they are. So, uh, yep. Well, Jake, man, this has been a great conversation, folks. This is that time of year. Get out there in your timber, look around, see what you see. Ask yourself that question that Jake posed at the beginning. Did your season go how you wanted it to go? And if not, why not? Once you begin walking down that road and you can answer that question of why not, then you can begin to work towards solutions. But don't just start throwing uh, improvements, and I'll put those in air quotes, don't just start, oh, look at the confetti dropping here on the video. <laughs> no, I had, that was nice. Did you see that? Wow. Let's see
2: if it does I did. it for you. It, did, it didn't work for me. <laughs> yeah.
1: That was wild. Uh, I did not know it that. You got a
2: thumbs up earlier, too.
1: I saw that. I got the little thumbs up bubble, man. <laughs> look at look at us. I did not even know that this, this was capable of doing that. But, uh, yeah, go, folks, go check out your property. Was your hunting season all that you wanted it to be? If not, why not? And if you want some help along the way, give us a call. We'd be happy to chat with you about your property and see how we might be able to help you answer that question. What is going on with my property? Why am I not seeing the deer that I want to see? So, Jake, thanks for joining me today. I appreciate your time. Thanks for listening to this week's show. If you found this helpful, do us a favor and leave us a review wherever it is that you get your podcasts. And if you want to keep up with us, you can find us on Instagram at Whitetail underscore partners, on Facebook, Whitetail Partners LLC, on YouTube by simply searching Whitetail Partners or
0: online at whitetailpartners.com.